Evidence and Answers. One of the individuals mentioned quite frequently in the Quran is Jesus. What does the Quran teach about Jesus? How does the Jesus of the Quran differ from the Jesus of the Bible? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is a national and international speaker, teacher, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Join Pat now as he shares what the Quran teaches about Jesus. This is sure to be an eye-opening study. So let's join Pat now for this informative study on Jesus in the Quran. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where each week we present powerful and compelling evidence for faith in Christ and answer some of the toughest challenges Christians face today. Now, we've been going through a series on Christianity and Islam, and today we're going to study about Jesus in the Quran. What does the Quran teach about Jesus? For we hear many Muslims say that they indeed honor Jesus, and they honor Jesus as the Christians do, or the Jesus of the Bible is the same Jesus that they honor, and that the Quran honors Jesus. Well, let's take a look at what the Quran teaches about Jesus. Both Islam and Christianity recognize Jesus as a significant historical figure. However, they teach contrary doctrines regarding the nature and the person of Jesus Christ. And these differences are significant here. They are major differences between what Islam and Christianity teaches. In fact, the Jesus of Islam is very different from the Jesus of the Bible. So let's take a look at what the Quran teaches about Jesus. Now, Christians and Muslims have very different views of Jesus. In fact, they're mutually exclusive. They both can't be right at the same time. Christians have taught from the beginning that Jesus Christ is the unique divine Son of God, that he is 100% man and 100% God. Now, this was not a doctrine invented centuries after the life of Christ, as some allege, but this was taught from the very beginning by Christ himself and the early followers, the disciples of Jesus Christ. There's strong evidence that supports the New Testament was written in the first century, and there are numerous verses that teach the deity of Christ. The Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John in 90 AD, states in his very opening verse, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Apostle Paul writing his letter to the Colossians in 60 AD, in chapter 2, verse 9 states, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Jesus himself, on several occasions, made it clear he was indeed the divine Son of God. For example, in John chapter 8, when the Pharisees questioned the authority of Jesus, Jesus responded by saying this, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Abraham, as you know in your history, existed about 1,500 years before the coming of Christ. And Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see me. And that's why the Jews mocked Jesus. They said in verse 57, the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And the words Jesus was quoting there was from Exodus chapter 3 when Moses asked the Lord, what is your name? And God responded, I am. And in verse 59, they picked up stones to 
stone him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They knew that what Jesus was saying, he was claiming to be the divine son of God. That's why they wanted to stone him for blasphemy. Right? There's only four reasons why someone can be stoned. Being a rebellious son, which Jesus was not. He was well in his 30s by then. For adultery, which he hadn't committed. For necromancy or for blasphemy. And they were trying to get him on number four, claiming to be God. And also throughout the Gospels, Jesus claimed to have the authority that only God has. The authority to forgive sins. The authority to give life. The authority to judge. And that people will be judged according to how they respond to the teachings and the words of Jesus. He claimed authority over the law. These are areas that only God has authority over. And so Jesus was making it quite clear that he was indeed claiming to be the unique divine son of God. This was not only taught in the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well prophesied that the Messiah would indeed be divine. For example, Isaiah 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And the translation of the word Emmanuel means God with us. Another popular verse often quoted is Isaiah 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There in that prophecy, for to us a child is born. Therefore, this Messiah shall be human. But look at the title of his names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. These are titles of divinity. Therefore, even in the Old Testament it taught that the Messiah would indeed be human, but also divine. And not only that, we have non-Christian sources that tell us that the Christians taught that Jesus was the divine Son of God from the very beginning. This is not a doctrine that was invented a century later or so. For example, Pliny the Younger, writing to the emperor, wrote this in the late 1st, very early 2nd century. He wrote this in describing the Christians. He said, They were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light, when they sang an anthem to Christ as God and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to commit any wicked deed. Here, Pliny the Younger states that these Christians worship Jesus Christ as God incarnate. Celsus, now he was a critic back in those days, writing in the late 2nd century about these Christians, ridiculing them, and he writes this, Now if the Christians worship only one God, they might have reason on their side. But as a matter of fact, they worship a man who appeared only recently. They do not consider what they are doing a breach of monotheism. Rather, they think it perfectly consistent to worship the great God and to worship his servant as God. And the worship of this Jesus is the more outrageous because they refuse to listen to any talk about God, the Father of all, unless it includes some reference to Jesus. So here, even these non-Christian historical works affirm that the Christians worship Jesus Christ as the divine Son of God from the very beginning. This is not a doctrine that was created later. There are some who allege that it was the Emperor Constantine in 325 AD that deified Christ as some kind of a god. No, this was taught by Christ himself, the apostles, and even these non-Christian sources, early non-Christian sources affirm that the Christians worship Jesus Christ as God from the very beginning. Now, Islam builds upon the teachings of the Quran, which is considered perfect and without error. Therefore, Islam rejects the biblical teachings that Christ is indeed the divine Son of God. 
The Quran teaches that Jesus was a significant prophet, but that's what he was, a prophet, a man, not the divine Son of God. Muslims reject the deity of Christ, and they reject the doctrine of the Trinity, and worshiping Jesus as God and the doctrine of the Trinity is considered shirk or the unpardonable sin of blasphemy. Let me read for you a couple passages from the Quran that expound on the teachings of Islam. In chapter 9 of the Quran, it states, The Jews call Ezra a son of God, and the Christians call Christ the Son of God. That is the saying from their mouth. In this they but imitate what the unbelievers of old used to say, God's curse be upon them, how they are deluded away from the truth. So chapter 9 of the Quran teaches that the Jews believe Ezra was the Son of God and that the Christians believe Jesus is the Son of God. And the Quran denounces those who believe this as deceived and enemies of Allah. The assertion that God stands against those who believe in the deity of Christ is in direct contradiction with what the Bible teaches. Chapter 5 of the Quran teaches this, And behold, God will say on the day of judgment, O Jesus, the son of Mary, didst thou say unto men, Worship me and my mother as God's interrogation of God? He will say, That is Jesus, glory to thee. Never could I say what I had no right to say. Had I said such a thing, you would indeed have known it. You know what is in my heart, though I know not what is in yours. For you know in full all that is hidden. Never did I say to them anything except what you commanded me to say, Worship God, my Lord, and your Lord. So here, according to chapter 5 of the Quran, it asserts that Christians worshipped Jesus Christ and Mary as gods. And so it is from this passage and others, many Muslims have incorrectly concluded that the Christian doctrine of the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and Mary. Well, the New Testament never taught the worship of Mary. Instead, it clearly taught that one must worship the Lord and the Lord God alone, Matthew 4, verse 10. The biblical doctrine of the Trinity never included Mary. And now the chapter further states that Jesus himself clearly denied claiming to be the divine Son of God and would not accept the worship of others. However, in the Bible, it teaches that Jesus claimed to be the divine Son of God and received worship on several occasions. For example, in Matthew chapter 28, after the resurrection, it states, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And so Jesus received the worship of his disciples on several occasions. In chapter 5 of the Quran, it states, Christ, the son of Mary, was no more than a messenger. Many were the messengers that passed away before him. His mother was a woman of truth. They had both to eat their daily food. See how God makes his signs clear to them. Yet see what ways they are deluded away from the truth. So the Quran emphatically teaches that Jesus was a prophet and not the divine Son of God. And it repeatedly says throughout the Quran, those who believe Jesus is divine, these people are deceived or deluded. So therefore, you can quickly see that the Quran and the Bible teach contrary views of the nature and the person of Jesus Christ. Both cannot be right at the same time. Now, it's interesting what the Quran itself teaches about Jesus. There several passages that mention Jesus in the Quran. There's several that talk about the childhood of Jesus. And some of these passages are quite interesting. Let's take a look at a few. Now, the Bible teaches that Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem during the time of Caesar Augustus in the reign of King Herod over Bethlehem. 
Jesus was born in a stable because there were no rooms available for Mary and Joseph. And on the eve of his birth, shepherds were told of his birth by angels that had visited them. Later, wise men from the east came and worshipped the child. Herod, threatened by the announcement of a newborn king, sought to kill the child. And Joseph therefore fled from Herod, traveled to Egypt. Later, wise men from the east came and worshipped the child. Herod, threatened by the announcement of a newborn king, sought to kill the child. Joseph fled from Herod, traveled to Egypt, and after Herod's death, returned to Nazareth where Jesus grew up. This is pretty much the summary of the life of Jesus Christ. Very little is said about his infancy and his early years. Now, the Gospels gain its source from eyewitness accounts, and that is the source of their information. Now, the Quran mentions the early life of Jesus Christ. And here's some of the things the Quran says about the early life of Jesus. So these are the infancy narratives of Jesus according to the Quran. The Quran includes stories regarding the birth and childhood of Christ, but it relies on some very questionable sources that are not eyewitness accounts. Let's take a look at some of these infancy narratives. First, the Quran teaches that Jesus was not born in Bethlehem in a stable, but that he was born in the desert under a palm tree. Chapter 19 of the Quran teaches that Mary, feeling the pangs of childbirth, seized the trunk of a palm tree and desired at that moment to die. However, the baby Jesus speaks to her from beneath, saying, Grief not, for your Lord has provided a rivulet beneath you, and shake towards yourself the trunk of the palm tree, and it will fall fresh dates upon you. So eat, drink, and cool your eye. That's chapter 19 of the Quran. So according to the Quran, Jesus was born in the desert under a palm tree. And as Mary is in the pains of giving childbirth, the boy Jesus speaks from beneath her and tells her to grab the palm tree and it will bend to you and you can pick its dates for food and sustenance. Now, where does this story come from? Well, the story parallels an account from the apocryphal gospel of Pseudo-Matthew, which is an apocryphal work which is dated to the early 7th century AD, between 600 and 625 AD. Historians and textual scholars, such as F.F. F. Bruce, one of the greatest New Testament scholars of modern times, have concluded that Muhammad incorporated this story from the apocryphal gospel of Pseudo-Matthew. This is not an eyewitness account. It's written centuries after the life of Christ. In fact, one of the top New Testament scholars right now in the art of textual criticism or the study of ancient manuscripts, the New Testament scholar from Dallas Theological Seminary, Dr. Daniel Wallace dates the Gospel of Pseudo-Matthew later to the 8th or 9th century AD. So Wallace's date would push back the date of the Quran to several generations after the life of Muhammad. Now in chapter 20 of this apocryphal work, Joseph and Mary are fleeing to Egypt and come to rest under a tall palm tree. Mary longs to eat the fruit of the palm and Joseph states their need for water. It is then the infant Jesus speaks to the palm tree. Then the child, Jesus, with a joyful countenance, resting in the bosom of his mother, said to the palm tree, O tree, bend thy branches, and refresh my mother with thy fruit. And immediately at these words, the palm bent its top down to the very feet of the blessed Mary, and they gathered from its fruit, with which they were all refreshed. After they had gathered all its fruit, it remained bent down, waiting the order to rise from him, who had commanded it to stoop. Then Jesus said to it, Raise thyself, O palm tree, and be strong, and be the companion of my trees, which are in paradise of my father. 
and open from thy roots a vein of water which has been hid in the earth, and let the waters flow so that they may be satisfied from thee. And it rose up immediately, and its roots there began to come forth a spring of water exceeding clear and cool and sparkling. And when they saw the spring of water, they rejoiced with great joy and were satisfied themselves and all their cattle and their beasts. Wherefore, they give thanks to God. So that's the account from the pseudo-gospel of Matthew. And it appears that there's strong evidence that chapter 19 of the Quran of the story of Mary, comes, therefore, from the pseudo-gospel of Matthew here. Another infant narrative from the Quran teaches that not long after Jesus' birth, he preaches a message in defense of his mother, Mary. According to this particular passage, several people question Mary's child as illegitimate since she was pregnant before she was betrothed to Joseph. In her defense, she points to the infant, which confuses the people since the child is only an infant in the crib. Then, according to chapter 19 of the Quran, this is where this is recorded. Then, to everyone's surprise, the newborn Jesus speaks, saying, Indeed, I am a servant of Allah. He has given me revelation and made me a prophet, and he has made me blessed wheresoever I be. And he has enjoined on me prayer and charity as long as I live. He has made me kind to my mother and not overbearing or miserable, since peace is on me the day I was born, the day that I die, and the day that I shall be raised up to life again. Such was the prophet Jesus, the son of Mary, a saying of truth concerning what they doubt. And according to the rest of this account, after the people see the baby Jesus speaking and preaching like this, Mary is indeed exonerated from her guilt. Now, where does this story come from? The source of this story is another pseudo-gospel, the Arabic gospel of the infancy of the Savior. And according to New Testament scholar Dan Wallace, this apocryphal work was written in the 5th or 6th century AD. Therefore, it is not an eyewitness account. It's written centuries after the life of the apostles, and it's an apocryphal work, never considered inspired or part of the New Testament. In fact, if you go on to read this work, this work states, we have found it recorded in the book of Josephus, the chief priest, who was in the time of Christ, and men say that he was Caiaphas, that this man said that Jesus spake when he was in the cradle, and said to Mary his mother, Verily, I am Jesus, the Son of God, the word which thou hast borne, according as the angel Gabriel gave thee the good news, and my Father has sent me for the salvation of the world. Here we see parallels between what the Quran records in chapter 19 and writings from this pseudo-infancy narrative or the pseudo-gospel. This work specifically mentions the infant Jesus speaking from his cradle declaring his calling from God. And so this clearly appears to be the source from which the Quran quotes and gets its information from. A third account in the Quran records Jesus making birds out of clay and them bringing them to life. Chapter 3 of the Quran states, Jesus speaking, I've come to you with a sign from your Lord in that I make for you out of clay the figure of a bird and breathe into it and it becomes a bird by Allah's leave. And I heal those born blind and the lepers and I quicken the dead by Allah's leave, and I declare to you what you eat and what you store in your houses. Surely therein is a sign for you, if you did believe. Now this story of Christ breathing life into clay birds as a child has no parallel in the Gospels, but it may be familiar to some of you. Instead, this story comes from another apocryphal work, one that has been quite popular. It's the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. Now, historical evidence indicates this gospel was not written by the Apostle Thomas. Moreover, it was not even written in the lifetime 
of the Apostle Thomas. The earliest manuscript of this gospel dates from the 6th century AD, hundreds of years after the life of Thomas. Some scholars may date this as early as the late 2nd century, but that would be at least a hundred years after the life of Thomas. Now, top New Testament scholars write that the author was most likely not Jewish, but a Gentile Christian. The reason is that very few insights to Jewish culture are given in this particular gospel here. Now, when you do read the infancy gospel of Thomas, what it reveals about Christ is not a child that grew up in favor with God and with men, but instead it reveals a capricious child who inflicts painful revenge several times on those who cross him in a manner he doesn't like. New Testament scholar Fred Lapham states, Many of the stories in their earlier part of the work are morally offensive and indefensible, showing the growing Jesus to be a cruel, callous, and vindictive child who exercises power without regard for their consequences. So when you read this account, in the infancy gospel of Thomas, the children are playing by a river and birds are made out of clay. And then Jesus claps his hands and these birds made out of mud come to life and fly away. Well, the children are going to tell on Jesus when Jesus ends up cursing them and they shrivel up. Well, a vengeful and bad-tempered Jesus would be contrary to the description given in Luke, which states that he was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. So the child of the character portrayed in the infancy gospel of Thomas would not likely be described as growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. And once again, the infancy gospel of Thomas is not an eyewitness account. It's an apocryphal account written at least a century after the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. So there are several concerns regarding the accounts of Christ in the Quran. First, the infancy accounts of Christ contradict what the Gospels teach regarding the life of Christ, especially his childhood. The Quran teaches that Jesus was born in the desert under a palm tree, while the New Testament Gospels teach that Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem, in a stable. The infancy narratives in the Quran teach that Jesus performed miracles in his infancy and childhood. But John chapter 2, verse 11 states that the turning of the water to wine, the miracle at Cana, was the first miracle that Jesus performed at the beginning of his public ministry. Now, according to the Bible, the Bible, the Gospels record the birth of Christ in Bethlehem, and then that Herod sought to kill the child. And so Joseph and Mary escaped with Jesus to Egypt. And after the death of Herod, they returned to Nazareth there. And then the only other account we have of the childhood life of Jesus occurs in Luke chapter 2, where Joseph and Mary go to the temple to offer the sacrifice and Jesus at that time was 12 years old and after they were done with the sacrificial ceremony they were returning back home to Nazareth and they thought Jesus was in there with them but he was not and when they discovered he was not there it says after three days they went looking for him and found him in the temple sitting among the teachers listening to them and asking questions and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers and when his parents saw him they were astonished and his mother said to him son why have you treated us so Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And what is told in the Gospel of Luke is that Luke lived in submission and in obedience to Joseph and Mary for the rest of his childhood. And he doesn't appear again until he begins his ministry 
after he's baptized by John the Baptist. And the wedding at Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2 is when Jesus performs his first miracle. So the account of Jesus in the Quran contradicts the account given by the Gospels in the New Testament regarding the infancy and the childhood life of Jesus Christ. We'll return and study some more about what the Quran teaches about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ when we return here again on Evidence and Answers as we study some more about what the Quran teaches about Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll return and be with us again here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. I hope you're enjoying this series on Islam. If you missed any part of this show or would like to order the entire series on Islam, log on at evidenceandanswers.org. This show relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers radio show is brought to you by our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management providing investors with alternative investment solutions for more than 20 years. To learn more, visit their website at hcmlp.com. Join us here next time as we continue our series on Islam, right here on Evidence and Answers.